Helo a chroeso i bodlediad yr Academy Genedlaethol ar gyfer arweinyddiaeth a ddysgol yng Nghymru. Podlediad sy'n rhannu materion ac arferion arweinyddiaeth allweddol ar draws y sector addysg yma yng Nghymru ac yn rhyngwladol. Hello and welcome to the podcast from the National Academy for Educational Leadership in Wales. A podcast that shares key leadership issues and practices across the education sector here in Wales and internationally. So, um, well, everyone and Troy uh, so of course to our uh, in conversation more than just a sticking plaster. Um, my name's Damien Beach. I'm an associate from cohort two. Seems like a long, long time ago now. Um, but I and I'll be facilitating today. But I'd like to introduce uh, Ted Gunnellis, the Chief Executive of the National Academy for Educational Leadership, Dr. Adrian Neal, consultant clinical psychologist and head of employee wellbeing uh, with the ABU Health Board Wales, and Dr. Ali Davis, clinical psychologist from Blaenigwent and Monmouthshire, and Geraldine Foley, head teacher of Marlborough Primary School in Cardiff. Welcome all. Um, I'm going to hand over to Ted Quinn to uh, set the context for us and, and uh, before we go into uh, our first guest. Diolch yn Damien, prynau'n dai gyd. gan Kevin Palmer o'r Llywodraeth Cymru. First of all, should uh, mention that Kevin Palmer offers his apologies this afternoon, um, was hoping to attend, but unfortunately, um, has come back off holiday and uh, has has COVID. Uh, so we wish Kevin uh, well and hope that he'll be able to return to work um, well uh, soon. So the context for this afternoon's conversation, um, talking about well-being, and I suppose we could ask ourselves what do we mean by well-being. And in this context, um, there's a couple of things really, and I'm sure uh, my colleagues um, joining me this afternoon will will, will come in and, and give their definition of it as well. There are a number of definitions out there, but for us, um, when we talk about leadership, is that we want to, to create a sustainable and resilient workforce. Um, and for that to happen, then our leaders across Wales need to have time and space and the conditions for them to be able to, to, do, their, to do their job and to feel valued um, doing their job. So it's very difficult just to say, well, well-being is this, because I think it actually means more than just having a couple of words to it. It's about us understanding, um, as I said, about the, having the right conditions to be able to do their work, uh, to do their work well. So why, why well-being and why now? Well, why now more than ever, I, I would probably say to that. Um, National Academy for Education Leadership um, conducted a survey uh, back in uh, the summer of 2020, right at the beginning um, of COVID-19 and the global pandemic. Um, and that threw up um, some um, very interesting um, uh, concerns and results um, around um, our workforce. And the reason we carried out that survey wasn't because there was a global pandemic. In fact, it was because as an organization, we had um, revisited our corporate plan and had identified um, that well-being was a priority for us and it became part of our vision um, to ensure that the well-being of leaders across Wales in all educational sectors was prioritised um, and was systematically supported. And the reason for the well-being was to find out what people thought now at that particular time. And there was the question about the about COVID in the questionnaire. Um, and in, in fact, that wasn't why we carried the survey out. As I said, it was about us actually identifying um, the needs and demands um, on, on our leaders at that particular time. So um, we, we knew that this was an issue um, pre-pandemic. Pre um, because the data told us so. EWC held, held data um, telling us that there were a number of temporary positions um, in, uh, in, in the school, mainly in the school sector, um, that were of concern. Um, and also that there was an increasing move um, to federate schools. And that again was a concern about, you know, if, if head teachers are already um, in a demanding situation, um, what kind of pressures um, and stresses does that cause an individual if they then have to take on much larger, larger schools? Um, the, the, the idea around um, uh, 
having empty uh, empty roles, empty spaces, empty um, jobs was a concern in, in itself and having temporary positions was only adding to that well-being um, uh, situation. So just to, to let you know that um, the, the Academy asked AWC um, and commissioned them to carry out some additional data on, on headship and we can tell you that from you know, this, this data is 10 years old now and goodness knows what, what would, it would tell us if we carried this kind of data out now. But from head teachers that were new to post in 2012, nearly half of them had left the headship post within five years. And that's astonishing. Um, you know, within five years of them coming and taking up that post, they, they, they've, they've left that position. And then in 2013, so the following year, from 171 head teachers new to post, 70 had left their post in less than five years. So this wasn't just a one-off year thing. This is something that is, is coming and happening time and time again. And then five years later, in 2017, 20 head teachers left their post within their first year of headship. And I've no doubt no doubt whatsoever that if we um, asked EWCs to commission that work again, um, then we would see very, very similar um, uh, data coming through. And of course, all of this has been exacerbated um, by the uh, pandemic uh, conditions. So from the survey, um, it, it, we, we um, con conducted, we, we found that there, there were some not surprising uh, things coming through. Um, one was that 75% said that the greatest factor effect in their well-being was workload. And this um, was very similar to the EWC survey that was carried out in 2021, where 70% um, of school leaders agreed that workload was still a concern. So where, you know, we were in a pandemic when EWC carried out their um, survey, but interestingly, workload was still and this was at a time where um, Estin were not inspecting this was at a time when categorization had been uh, stopped and, and other accountability measures had been frozen and yet head teachers and leaders across Wales were still saying that workload was um, a factor affecting their well-being so we were also interested um, in looking at the free text within within the survey to find out what what we could be doing because we, we learned about all the things that were affecting them about the accountability about um, the, the workload processes etc but we wanted to know from our um, respondents what it was they thought that we could do as an organization um, i won't go into detail on on all of the the, the um, suggestions but just a couple of them was they wanted they wanted the opportunity leaders wanted the opportunity to come together across wales to talk to share um, and to be in, in, in a position of uh, support, so they could support each other. So during the pandemic, um, we uh, established um, a digital platform called um, Head to Head. Um, it started off with Head to Head for schools, and then um, uh, we later established Head to Head for youth work um, sector as well. And this was an opportunity which brought leaders together, as I said, just for them to be able to talk um, and to lean on each other. Um, they wanted us to be the voice of, of, um, of, of leadership on their behalf at policy level. So that was really important that we, we listened to them and we established a working group which included um, professionals from the health sector as well as the education sector, some academics, um, ESTIN, um, middle tier partners, uh, EWC were involved there as well, um, as, uh, and, and included Welsh government officials as well. That was really important that we included them in that, in that conversation. And another one of those recommendations from the survey was that we became an advocate for change, um, and not just um, at, at, at the grassroots level, but at policy level, that we actually move this agenda forward. So through that working group, um, which included Ali and uh, Adrian, who are online uh, today as well. Um, we, we actually got to the point where we decided um, that 
we needed to have a strategic focus um, to systematically support our leaders, which is what we set out in the vision. Um, and we, we uh, pulled a, a paper together which identified three areas, which was a provision area, a policy area, and a principles area. And just, just briefly um, on that, because I don't want to go into too much uh, detail around those, was that with the policy area, it was really, really important that we had Welsh Government support in the work that we were doing, because there had not been any identification um, up until this point that Welsh Government were indicating that they were supporting leaders' well-being at this level. Yes, they were supporting pupil well-being, which we agree with, and yes, they were supporting staff well-being, which we agreed with, but there was nothing coming out of Welsh Government that actually identified leaders specifically. So that enabled us to have that conversation with them. And I'm pleased to say that we are now in a different position to that because they've identified the, the well-being of leaders and it's now in our remit letter um, as the National Academy for Educational Leadership to be able to take this work forward. So already there has been a shift in the way that they're looking at it. Um, secondly, around the provision uh, pillar was around us identifying what provision um, what was out in the system, um, what, what was useful, what wasn't useful. There's still a lot of work for us to be doing on this and we intend on uh, carrying out an audit um, to look at um, the provision supporting well-being of, of leaders. Um, and we will be looking at this under a, a number of areas. So, um, pre-pandemic pre um, because the data told us so. EWC held, held data um, telling us that there were a number of temporary positions um, in, uh, in, in the school, mainly in the school sector um, that were of concern um, and also that there was an increasing move um, to federate schools and that again was a concern about you know if, if head teachers are already um, in a demanding situation um, what kind of pressures um, and stresses does that cause an individual if they then have to take on much larger larger schools. Um, the, the the idea around um, uh, having empty uh, empty roles, empty spaces, empty um, jobs was a concern in in itself, and having temporary positions was only adding to that well-being um, uh, situation. So just to to let you know that um, the. The Academy asked AWC um, and commissioned them to carry out some additional data on, on headship. And we can tell you that from, you know, this, this data is 10 years old now, and goodness knows what, what would, it would tell us if we carried this kind of data out now. But from head teachers that were new to post in 2012, nearly half of them had left the headship post within five years. And that's astonishing. Um, you know, within five years of them coming and taking up that post, they've, they, they've, they've left that position. And then in 2013, so the following year, from 171 head teachers new to post, 70 had left their post in less than five years. So this wasn't just a one-off year thing. This is something that is, is coming and happening time and time again. And then five years later, in 2017, 20 head teachers left their post within their first year of headship. And I've no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that if we um, asked EWCs to commission that work again, um, then we would see very, very similar um, uh, data coming through. And of course, all of this has been exacerbated um, by the uh, pandemic uh, conditions. So from the survey, um, it, it, we, we um, conducted, we, we found that there, there were some not surprising uh, things coming through. Um, one was that 75% said that the greatest factor effect in their well-being was workload. And this um, was very similar to the EWC survey that was carried out in 2021, where 70% um, of school leaders agreed that workload was still a concern. So where you know we were in a pandemic when EWC carried out their um, survey, but interestingly, workload was still, and this was at a time where um, 
Estin were not inspecting. This was at a time when categorization had been uh, stopped and, and other accountability measures had been frozen. And yet head teachers and leaders across Wales were still saying that workload was um, a factor affecting their well-being. So we were also interested um, in looking at the free text within, within the survey to find out what what we could be doing, because we, we learned about all the things that were affecting them, about the accountability, about um, the, the workload processes, etc. But we wanted to know from our um, respondents what it was they thought that we could do as an organisation. Um, I won't go into detail on, on all of the, the, the um, suggestions, but just a couple of them. Well, they, wanted, they wanted the opportunity, leaders wanted the opportunity to come together across Wales to talk, to share. Um, and to be in, in, in a position of uh, support, so they could support each other. So during the pandemic, um, we uh, established um, a digital platform called um, Head to Head. Um, it started off with Head to Head for schools, and then um, uh, we later established Head to Head for youth work um, sector as well. And this was an opportunity which brought leaders together, as I said, just for them to be able to talk um, and to lean on each other. Um, they wanted us to be the voice of, of, um, of, of leadership on their behalf at policy level. So that was really important that we, we listened to them and we established a working group which included um, professionals from the health sector as well as the education sector, some academics, um, ESTIN, th um, middle tier partners, uh, EWC were involved there as well, um, as, uh, and, and included Welsh government officials as well. That was really important that we included them in that, in that conversation. And another one of those recommendations from the survey was that we became an advocate for change, um, and not just um, at, at, at the grassroots level, but at policy level that we actually move this agenda forward. So through that working group, um, which included Ali and uh, Adrian, who are online uh, today as well, um, we, we actually got to the point where we decided um, that we needed to have a strategic focus um, to systematically support our leaders, which is what we set out in the vision. Um, and we, we uh, pulled a, a paper together, which identified three areas, which was a provision area, a policy area, and a principles area. And just, just briefly um, on that, because I don't want to go into too much uh, detail around those, was that with the policy area, it was really, really important that we had Welsh government support in the work that we were doing, because there had not been any identification um, up until this point that Welsh government were indicating that they were supporting leaders' well-being at this level. Yes, they were supporting pupil well-being, which we agree with, and yes, they were supporting staff well-being, which we agreed with, but there was nothing coming out of Welsh government that actually identified leaders specifically. So that enabled us to have that conversation with them. And I'm pleased to say that we are now in a different position to that because they've identified the, the well-being of leaders and it's now in our remit letter um, as the National Academy for Educational Leadership to be able to take this work forward. So already there has been a shift in the way that they're looking at it. Um, secondly, around the provision uh, pillar was around us identifying what provision um, what was out in the system, um, what, what was useful, what wasn't useful. There's still a lot of work for us to be doing on this and we intend on uh, carrying out an audit um, to look at um, the provision supporting well-being of, of leaders. Um, and we will be looking at this under a, a number of areas. So we'll be looking at under the duty of care provision. We'll be looking at responsive provision. We'll be looking at preemptive provision and also the embedded provision, which, um, which is in existence. Um, and this, this work will be taking place over the next year. And then finally, um, on the principles pillar, was where we um, engaged um, with Dr. Ali Davis in uh, commissioning her to write the paper on compassionate leadership, because we needed to have something that would support the idea of what, what exactly do we expect um, 
the the provision out there to look like what can we what can we say that all leaders should get this as a given this is something that you shouldn't be asking for or expecting to have that this should become part and part of your role as a leader and it becomes um an embedded part um, of of who you are as an educational leader um, in wales so i'm really really pleased that ali accepted the commission um, and then um, wrote the paper, which is why we um, are here today to talk about it's, um, it's more than a stick and plaster. And before I, I finish, Damon, if I could just say that um, during COVID, um, Professor Alma Harris um, wrote a paper called um, COVID-19 School Leadership in Disruptive Times. And there have never been more disruptive times, have there, than um, the last two years. But I don't think we can be too, um, what's the word I want, too blasé maybe is the fact that COVID is gone and we're coming out, it's post-COVID and that schools are getting back to normal and all of this going on is that actually in Alma's paper, she says, school leaders working in these demanding and chaotic circumstances, the pressure is relentless, the options are limited, and the sleepless nights are frequent. And I would imagine that that is the same now for our leaders um, today as it was during the, the heights of the, you know, the, the, the pandemic and, and having to manage that. So I suppose it's a bit of a, um, a warning, a health warning um, to us. Um, that we mustn't get um, to, you know, that position of snap back to how it used to be. And, and, and for people outside of the schools and educational sector, um, thinking that everything is okay because things are managing and they're working, because probably now is a breaking point after everything they've gone through. So why we're here today, Damon, we're here to talk about the well-being of our leaders. We're here about making sure that it is prioritised and making sure that it is systematically supported. And we need to do that with the support um, of each other working um, in collaboration to make sure that Welsh Government recognise how important this is. The architect, man. Um, <clears throat> and, and as you say, uh, Welsh Government would have been represented here today um, in, in Kevin, who I know uh, feels really passionately about this. Um, you talked as well, uh, you know, quite rightly about, of course, COVID exacerbating um, the difficulties and, and uh, that school uh, school leaders were facing, but also back at the beginning of, of you setting the context, um, this was the problem before COVID. You know, and the, some of the numbers you were giving about heads heads leaving, you know, I could see Adrian's uh, eyebrow shoot up with, with with some of the figures. So uh, I, I'll uh, ask uh, Ali to come in now. I mean, I know Teg, when you talked about num a number of definitions of well-being, and perhaps Ali, you could we're going to revisit that about what your definition of well-being was in terms of uh, your commission, and and you know, Teg, when set the context, so we know why it's an important issue, but you know, why was it a particularly important issue to you and your role, and, and what you found out, and and you know what we found out from senior leaders. So over to you, Ali. I mean, absolutely, I'd echo everything Tegel was saying and kind of what the um, research tells us is that recruitment and retention has been a really significant issue for senior leaders across Wales for a number of years and, and is, I think, echoed increasingly in, in England as well. Um, one of the studies I looked at spoke about 18 to 40% of posts being unfilled in 2016. So whereas um, it was absolutely an issue pre-COVID, of course, COVID's brought a number of um, challenges to the role and have compounded some of these difficulties and perhaps also offered opportunities to look at how to do things differently. So in a way, the run-up and that survey could not have happened at a more appropriate time because this is a really kind of hallmark period to then look at, at going forwards. Um, you might be interested just to know, just in thinking about how we were kind of defining and um, Dr. Ben Awaits and Dr. Adrian Neal being kind of key in the strategic part of this and working alongside the Leadership Academy. And then, as you mentioned, I've been involved in looking at some of this um, research under their leadership. Um, the idea of well-being being um, a kind of um, manifestation of inner traits or personality types has kind of been scrapped. And we're looking more now in the psychological world around 
not skilling people up or teaching new things necessarily, but more about core conditions within um, within a culture around a person. So really thinking about the context within what's, where someone works. And NICE, National Institute of Clinical Excellence, defines well-being as, as things relating to allowing someone to reach their potential, to uh, the ability to be productive, creative, have positive relationships, contribute to the wider community, have a sense of purpose, etc. And it and it naturally um, it follows that that's absolutely what's needed in the workplace for those things to happen. And and indeed, with a, within a school community, in a very particular role, where head teachers are not only doing a job, but they're absolutely the kind of figurehead for a school community within which they serve and working with staff, students, parents colleagues and people in middle tier so there's a number of kind of stakeholders involved in their role um, which brings a huge sense of purpose and belonging according to the conversations that we had but also a lot of complexity and challenge within that do you want me to go on Damien or you, would it be helpful to talk a bit about what we found out through this research sorry I couldn't have yes yes please so as Tegwe mentioned, the, this huge body of um, information came through this, this incredible survey that, that looked at nearly a thousand people responded. And it gave a beautiful and broad um, clip of how people were experiencing their roles. And this kind of next stage really helped to um, look a bit deeper into the meaning behind. So when people talk about workload being a huge challenge, we were able then to look more at what it was about workload or what was missing in the context around. Because often senior leaders were telling, telling us that they expect to be really busy and they can shoulder a huge amount of responsibility and they are highly skilled and competent at doing that work. But it's in the context of other pressures like um, suddenly priority shifting or a lack of communication or a sense of not being valued in the role or a sense of not being fairly treated, but actually purpose and belonging, we know these are kind of cornerstone of, of um, employee well-being, were there, but, but the relational aspects were often missing for senior leaders. So they were often feeling um, overlooked and kind of addled and just too much to fit into a day. So kind of um, the role became increasingly unrealistic. So the research itself took the opportunity to have a look at what the wellbeing survey came up with and then dig a bit deeper into some of those areas and and i conducted some focus group with senior leaders to look more into um, the meaning behind some of those answers and to get a better sense of their experiences and also um had some questionnaires then created for head teachers and senior leaders that left the profession within the last couple of years with the idea that they kind of offer something a bit unique in their perspective of the role the um, across all of that information and analysing a couple of the questions from the wellbeing survey, the research came up with 170 sub themes, which was divided up into 11 categories and then presented under four sets of demands. So performance based demands, organisational demands, psychological demands and social demands. And the um, the demands, um, the demands resources model, which is a psychological model which looks at burnout essentially where it suggests that where demands are too high employees um, are at risk of exhaustion or when resources are too low employees are at risk of disengagement and where both are true that's when burnout happens so high levels of exhaustion and disengagement combines with burnout combine and um, creates burnout so through that my um, this kind of piece of research looked at what the various demands were faced by head teachers to really try and get a better sense of that with the critical aim of then coming up with some ideas for resources to meet those demands because the demands themselves being high isn't an issue but when they're combined with a lack of resources and um, that's when it kind of gets really risky um, and as we know it's absolutely important to keep people steady in their role not only because it's right and good to treat people fairly and well and we should be looking after people and people should expect their employees to kind of have, a, have an eye on well-being ethically but because when people are steady in their role and when well-being is high critically the outcomes are much better so the um, efficacy 
and the the culture in education is dramatically improved in, in any organization so there's a real kind of even if we were being cynical and saying we don't need to be nice <laughs> there's not enough time to be nice actually it's it's um it's a kind of um false false saving to not really attend to that I could talk a little bit about the recommendations, Damien, but it might be that you want to move on. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm keen to get uh, input from Geraldine and, and Adrian. And, um, you know, there have been a number of events, I think, held by the Academy where, you know, your, the paper has um, colleagues had an opportunity to look at the paper. So I, I am going to ask, Ali, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask, come, go to Geraldine, who I know is familiar with the paper, uh, and ask you know what 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 the paper meant to you and what do you do to look after your well-being? Okay, uh, afternoon, Anna. Thanks, Damien. Um, first of all, what does the paper mean to me? I just find it so refreshing. I find it timely, and it gives me optimism and hope that this has been published. Um, in the forward forward to the paper, Professor Michael West states the importance of compassionate leadership. And he mentions how that every interaction that we have as leaders is an opportunity to shape our school culture and how we show up, whether that's irritable, feeling cynical, feeling happy, feeling joyous, feeling irritable. That has a direct impact on our schools, on our children, on our colleagues and on our families. And there's an emotional contagion that actually comes from us as leaders. I feel so incredibly lucky and blessed and privileged to be a head teacher. I've been a head teacher now for 18 years and I, 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 it's just the most wonderful job in the world. But equally, I don't need to talk to, you, to everybody listening about what also comes with this role. It is an absolute joy and privilege, but it also comes with immense pressure, a lot of stress. It can be incredibly lonely. And the workload and the responsibility can weigh really heavily. And I feel so passionate that if school leaders, if we don't attend to our own well-being needs, it will take its toll emotionally, mentally and physically. And I found out this the hard way. Um, I ploughed on regardless, um, ignored all of the signs and symptoms of stress until it led to catastrophic results back in 2016. It's quite interesting, Tegwin, what you were saying about taking on um, executive headships. I had my own large primary school. I took on an executive headship for a short period of another large school. And I ignored for months and months and months and months all of the warning signs um, until I ended up in hospital. And I'd had a series of blackouts. It was absolutely terrifying. But after lots of investigations, this was just the manifestation of chronic stress that I'd ignored for months and months and months. I just burnt myself out. Um, you know, I was subsequently then diagnosed with chronic stress and with clinical depression. And so I always thought that this wouldn't happen to me, but it does. Um, and I had to start finding a way to lead differently because there's no way I could look after my children and my staff and my community, if I didn't start looking after myself, I was good to absolutely no one. So how, how you know, what does well-being mean to me now? I had to find a way of, of leading completely differently. And I am a different leader now to the leader I was previously. Um, I've still got a long career ahead of me. I've been a head teacher for 18 years. I want to be a head teacher until I retire. Um, so I had to find out how, 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 do, you, how do I do this job? But, but thrive in the job rather than just surviving in the job um, and I think it just started off with just finding out rediscovering I guess who I was other than just being a head teacher because if you'd asked me back in 2016 who I was I was a head teacher I'd forgotten how to be a partner to Paul how to be a daughter how to be a sister how to be a friend and how to be present when I'm with those people that matter the most to me I started looking after my physical health. You know, all those things I've neglected, I started running again. I started entering 10Ks and half marathons, started doing weekly yoga classes. I engaged um, uh, with a leadership consultant and I have a leadership coach. I, I, I still have one. I have a leadership coach for all of my um, senior leaders here in school too. Someone who I can just talk things through um, and somebody who challenges my thinking as well. Um, I had to learn how to re-lead through my values and be authentic as a leader. 
I think I spent the first 12 years of my headship being the leader I think everybody wanted me to be rather than being authentic to who I actually was um, and once I found the way of doing that actually it just flowed um, and, and leadership became so much easier um, I think also I stopped buying into the culture of busyness that being an effective leader is somebody who's always incredibly busy so now I don't look at my emails after six o'clock I don't work weekends and I'm proud to say that I spend my weekends with my family and friends. I stopped working through my holidays. Back before 2016, we'd be on holiday in France, Paul would be in the shower, and I'd be checking my work emails. I don't know what's the matter with me now looking back. Um, but th this half term, I went to my best friend's wedding. I've been to Rome, and I didn't look at an email until I got back into work on Monday. Um, I work from home one day a week, and on that Thursday every week, I get all of the tedious policies, governing body reports, prospectuses done. So the four days when I'm in school, I'm present for my children and I'm present for my staff. Um, and that's helped me tremendously too. Um, I know building my resilience, I need to be out in nature every day. So I walk to school, spend time out in fresh air. And most importantly, I've got a dog. <laughs> and that's done, that's done the world of good. Um, I am ferocious about protecting my well-being. Um, I reorganize my staff, the stuff that I'm no good at, corporate compliance stuff. I've got other people in my in my school who can do that far better than me. So we we work to our strengths um, and I do the bits of the job that I absolutely love and the bits I'm not so good at. I've got colleagues who are really good at them. So, you know, giving them the opportunity to shine and developing, distributing leadership. And I just found, um, I think I'm a much more effective head teacher now than I was previously. I've rediscovered my love for the role. Um, and even through the pandemic, I found a way of thriving through it. It hasn't been easy by any means, but I know what I need to do to keep my resilience going. And then I can also look after my team and my children and my families. Thank, thanks, Geraldine. And, and, you know, I'll thank everyone again at the end, but can I particularly thank you for your, your honesty and openness there with about a, quite a personal nature as well but i'm sure there's colleagues around the room i myself included that that would have resonated with um as as something that i went through as a head teacher as well um i am going to bring in adrian welcome again adrian who's going to talk to us about um, the sort of viewpoint from a, a bigger picture if you like and, and what the connection is to health and, and what that might look like in our education system. So over to you, Adrian. Really lovely to be here as well and, and also be part of this wider uh, initiative. Um, so our long journey <laughs> in terms of uh, um, myself, Ali and Benna being involved. Um, I guess at its core, um, I um, firmly believe that um, although at its service level, health and education kind of are different industries, different businesses, if you look at them coldly, actually they share a significant amount of overlap. Um, so learning from health, I think, can absolutely generalise into education. Um, I think in Wales, it's uh, um, those similarities are even stronger than in England, in my, in my experience. Um, I, I did do teacher training very, very many years ago. No many people know that, but um, I didn't into the, the career. Um, I chose a slightly different one instead. But uh, so I, in my DNA, um, there is a teacher in me, um, as Ali can probably attest to. Um, and that, I guess that comes to the core of, I think, the similarities between the two industries is the people. So for me, teaching and health is essentially driven by people that are intrinsically motivated. They come to work for, for meaning and for purpose. And they don't come for the fame. They don't come for the money, by and large. They come because it's, it's centrally important to who they are. And, and Ger Geraldine alluded to that a little bit in, in your story, which I really feel grateful for hearing, um, because it's, both, it's a double-edged sword. It, it is both the thing that motivates you intensely um, brings richness to your life, but can also nobble you. Um, and I think there's an interesting paradox there for, for both health, 
health and education. In terms of how we then, if stepping back, how we then look at this, these two massive workforces um, at points of significant challenge, we also have other parallels which suggest that you know both workforces have been in trouble for some time um, and the pandemic has just amplified some of these challenges but also given us the opportunity to perhaps to have these conversations because never before has well-being the working experience sustainability of the workforce been spoken about this clearly by this many people and been heard in my opinion by those um, in power quite like this before. So I think we're in a unique position in both health and education to do something about this age-old problem. Um, I guess if we then move forward and go, well, okay, well, what can we then do? Um, I, I'm really proud to be a, a kind of um, backstage hand in this piece of work um, throughout, whether it's the, the steering group, uh, right through to um, supporting Aline writing the paper, because to me, the, the, the future is written in the data, the future is in how we can approach this, is we are very, very close to looking at a strategic approach for this very small but highly important uh, um, occupational group, so educational leaders. Um, and for me, the, 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 the key is, is both the word sustainability, um, and resilience, but resilience in the terms of systemic resilience. So um, I think Geraldine really eloquently explained her journey um, and that process of becoming more resilient through extreme experience, but also from learning. I think for our people, if you like to call them that, the everybody has a separate journey, but actually we can support that by looking at a kind of higher level at the working conditions, at the, the conditions people are in, and, and in, in a ways to remove or mitigate some of those wider factors that make it absolutely necessary to be resilient at work. Um, a colleague of mine, a senior medical colleague, said you shouldn't have to be resilient to come to work, um, which is an interesting one, isn't it? Because the work itself should be fulfilling and meaningful. But the, the, the reality is that we have to look at the working experience as potentially harmful, and that's a bit dramatic to say, and therefore the need to be strategic in how we approach it and mitigate those threats and those demands need to be very clear um, you know, and mapped out in people's job plans in the their sense of what their, their own needs are, but also the wider organizational context within which they work. Um, they need to be aware of the pressure and the impact that their behavior, their demands have on, on the wide. So to me, it is a truly kind of layered approach. It has to be seen systemically, but there absolutely has to be the right resources for individuals. So really pleased that we're going to be looking at the um, those resources that are available, what provision is available, um, because there, there will be absolute mileage in looking at that um, across the varying levels of input that Tobin described. Um, but we also have to look at policy and we have to look at the cultures within which people work. Um, because if we get this right, um, and I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing, uh, I also think because it's it falls under one of these, um, I guess, description of these problems which you could describe as a, as a, a complex problem um, it, it, or a wicked problem, um, we are looking at a, a, a timeline uh, which is probably longer than most people realize. So in terms of recovery from the pandemic, well, I, I've been telling people we're looking at five years-ish, um, but we don't know when that point begins. Certainly colleagues from Welsh Government are thinking eight years for education. So even these, these are important timelines to bear in mind. Um, but I think the journey has begun. This, this paper, this working group, this piece of work, I think creates what Geraldine was saying is hope that we can approach this differently, but it, it has to be strategic. Um, my fear uh, throughout my career within this, this kind of the, the, the well-being domain is that things become fragmented, piecemeal, um, and that the kind of simple route is chosen because it brings immediate relief or a sense of false hope. Um, so things like, you know, uh, and this is going to get me into trouble with some people, but um, you know, if you offer staff 
free yoga sessions um, and fruit on Friday, that's your well-being offer ticked. Uh, we know where that lens leads to, but they may be important parts of the bigger picture. So it, it's a complex picture, but it is an area of critical importance, but we absolutely have to look strategically. We have to look at investing in the leaders and also changing the narrative around what work is, I think. Um, and only then will you, I guess, address some of these issues that have been flagged for at least the last 10, I suspect 20 years um, in the various surveys and research, but health is, is it in exactly the same position. Um, our work is different, but in many ways, strong, strong parallels. I feel like I'm waffling now, so I'll, I will return to Damien. So if, I, if you want a slightly more specific answer, probably best ask me that, a question. No, thank you, Adrian. Uh, you know, we, we could talk about this for a long time this afternoon, but with only, I think we're scheduled to finish at quarter two, um, so with only five minutes left, I, I just pick up one or two things that I that I can see in the chat. Um, I think Richard Carvis is, he, he's, and it, this resonates with what you've just been talking about, Adrian, and, and I don't know if colleagues around the, um, the panel would like to come back and add to this, but Richard, feel strongly about chairs of governing bodies. They need specific training to understand their role in supporting school leaders. Policies at national level, Adrian, you know, talking about that. Um, and it should be written into leadership pay and conditions. It's so entrenched in legislation that it can't be questioned. And, and it is that entitlement, like a national leadership entitlement. So um, I'm not sure if any uh, colleagues around the room or, or Tegwin, if you wanted to respond to that. I, I would agree completely with uh, with that statement, Damien, and thanks, Richard. Diolchiti, Richard, and Kavrani, of course. If if governors aren't on board with this, you know, it, it, again, it, this can't be something that is done in pockets and by by individuals. This has to be a whole nation approach with everybody on board. Um, and you use that word entitlement, Damien. It, it's really, really important that this is something. Um, that becomes part of the, the the culture and the climate and the ways of working for our for our leaders. We we we're going through this huge transformation at the moment. Everything else is changing except for leadership. And Geraldine, you know, thank you so much for sharing and being honest because you have actually highlighted that there that it is possible to change. That you don't have to stay on that. Um, you know that 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 running machine um, and and keep going just because you think that is what other people expect of you and we need we need to change those expectations. I, I mentioned right at the very beginning that you know we, we need to create a sustainable and resilient workforce. That's what's in our vision statement uh, here at the National Academy for Educational Leadership. But actually, sometimes I question us myself: Why do we want people to be resilient? Let's change the ways of working and the conditions that actually takes that word resilient out of it. You know, people shouldn't be made to be resilient or become resilient. Um, we need to change the ways of working. But it, you can't you can't leave anybody out of this conversation. And governors are an important part of it. And luckily, governors are also in our remit letter. Um, for, for us to, to be looking at. So I can guarantee you, Richard, and for all our other leaders online today, that we will make sure that that is part of the conversation that we have as part of that work taking it forward. Geraldine, I'm going to come to you with a, com uh, with a question that just, just popped in from Catherine. Um, so on, on the spot now, Geraldine. <laughs> okay. Could you share, what are your top three strategies in, in your opinion? Um, make sure that when you ask yourself the question, who am I, you can answer who you are other than just a head teacher. And if you've lost all of those other aspects that used to be you, rediscover them. You know, what is it that gives you um, your energy and resilience? Because once you know what gives you the, your energy, whether it's, you know, listening to music, going for a walk, uh, having a nice long bath in the evening, once you know what gives you the energy, you know at the end of the day when it's been depleted, we've had a really difficult safeguarding issue. Um, now I know rather than I need to go home at four and I need to go and dig up the weeds in the garden. Um, and I just think it's it's find those things 
that make you you. You are more than just a head teacher and you can only be a really effective head teacher if you are more than just a head teacher. I know I'm rambling a bit there, but it's just rediscovering the whole aspect of you um, and re-engaging and, and, and nurturing and making sure that they get as much space and as much time as the head teacher element of you do. Thanks, thanks, Geraldine. And um, I, we might, if again, have do any tips on balancing compassion and resilience? That's from James. So, from James in Swans. I could take that one quickly, Damien. I guess because just we think of um, compassion-focused approaches in the therapeutic world often speak about when compassion to others feels lower. Often that's an indicator that we need to be more compassionate to ourselves. So um, practices that bring compassion to ourselves. So all the kind of things that Geraldine mentioned around nourishing our own state of steadiness and time and space doing activities beyond the kind of work focus, but also things like mindfulness. Professor Michael West spoke about those kind of practices at the uh, Leadership Academy conference, didn't he, in January, and had some really powerful examples of of their use there but things that stay in the present moment and increasing awareness of what's going on for you mentally but that's only really possible if you can kind of step away from what you're doing yeah thank you ali well you know as i mentioned earlier we, we could spend time talking about this but it wouldn't help colleagues well-being if we were to overrun <laughs> uh, and uh, cause colleagues to be late for other, other pressing issues they might, might be dealing with this afternoon so um, I'll take this last few seconds just to to thank those who attended uh, as um, and certainly contributed to the chat. But of course, a, a massive thanks to um, colleagues around the, the panel today. It's it's really reassuring to know that Welsh government are taking this seriously and that the academy is working closely with the likes of Ali and Adrian and listening to inspirational colleagues like Geraldine. To make to make life better for all of us and things that I'll take away, Geraldine, I, I, which I always leave talking to you with some sound bites in my head. But you know, to go away, rediscover yourself, and be ferocious about your well-being. You know, really strong messages. So I'd just like to thank you all once again, and and certainly to those who taken time out of their day to come along, and and listen, and uh, yeah, wish you well for the rest of the week and the rest of the term. Gobeithio'n eich bod wedi mwyn hair bennod hon o bodlediad yr Academy Arwynyddiaeth. Tan ysgrifiwch ar Spotify, podlediadau Apple neu Google a pheidiwch byth â cholli pennod. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Academy podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode.